Good morning, everybody. Hey, welcome to Ethos Church. My, my name is Aaron. I'm one of the pastors uh, here at Ethos, and uh, today get the great honor of opening up the Bible and kind of diving into that and um, continuing in the story of Acts that we've been in together uh, for the past couple months. So this morning, uh, we're going to be in Acts chapter 10. Acts chapter 10 this morning, uh, if you are using one of our Bibles, if you need a Bible, we've got uh, these orange Bibles that are on the bar over here and on the communion tables or some out in the lobby. Uh, feel free to grab one of those. We're going to read a lot out of the Bible today. So if you want to follow along, you can grab one of those Bibles. Uh, it's page 751 in the orange Bibles if you're going to be using one of those. So uh, we're going to jump into that in just a minute. I want to give just a, a quick announcement, uh, kind of update on some things happening in our family here. Uh, one, yesterday we had a phenomenal dodgeball tournament for Ethos students, for those of you that would come out. Um, I, I, I don't know if Josh is in here or not, but I think, I think they raised close to $1,500 for Ethos students' missions yesterday. And everybody who's over the age of 30 is like icing their shoulder and hurting today. We're all in pain because we did things we don't normally do. But it was a lot of fun. If you missed it, I told Josh we have to do it again next year. All of you need to come out for some fierce and friendly competition on the dodgeball court. It was awesome. It was a lot of fun. Uh, secondly, uh, perhaps maybe more importantly, I don't know. Uh, you know, we are right now living into this new monthly rhythm as a church family. We've never done this before. It's the first time ever. Uh, we started back in February. We had a month-long season of prayer and fasting. We've done that for several years, but this year something different is each month, the first Wednesday of the month, we're, we are just inviting our whole church to continue in prayer and fasting together uh, one day out of the month. And so, our staff is doing this, and we just want to see our whole church join in with us. And so this Wednesday, this coming Wednesday, it's the first Wednesday of June, and so we're going to be taking that day to pray and fast for one another, for our church, for our city, and for the world. And uh, we just want to invite you to step in and be a part of that. Uh, if you didn't do it last month, that's okay. If you don't, don't let guilt or shame beat you up. It's all right. Like, jump on with us this month. It'll be awesome. Uh, there is a prayer guide out in the lobby. So if you're interested in praying and fasting with us on Wednesday, stop by the table in the lobby on your way out. Grab one of those guides. It'll also be posted online this week, uh, and so you can have access to it there at our website, ethoschurch.org. Uh, but this Wednesday, uh, consider some form of fast with us. It could be a sun-up to sundown fast. You could uh, give up, skip one meal, or give something up for the day as we together unite to pray for our city. So that's this coming Wednesday. Again, grab a prayer guide in the lobby as you leave. So uh, this morning, uh, we're going to be in Acts chapter 10. As I said, I'm going to say a quick prayer just for God to guide us. This is his word. Um, he's the one leading us through this, and so I'm just going to ask him to do that, and then we'll jump in together. So, God, I thank you just for the, the spirit that's present here today, and your spirit. I know you are here. And so, Lord, I pray, will you lead us as we read this phenomenal story um, out of Acts 10? Would you um, soften our hearts, open our eyes, open our ears, and help us to hear whatever it is you have for us today, Lord? We love you, and you are welcome here. This is your time, Father. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. So, we've been walking through the book of Acts. And uh, one of the things that we've seen in the book of Acts is that, that the church is this picture of a, a movement. And we say that every week, right? Our, our mission as ethos is to love God, love people, and awaken a movement. And so, you know, we talk about movements a lot. And one of the things that you'll see if you look over any movement over human history is that every movement inevitably ends up facing some hurdles to its ability to continue to spread as a movement. And so I'll talk about one movement that all of us have encountered and been a part of, whether we know it or not, whether we've even recognized it as a movement, and that is this thing that we call Facebook. So I imagine almost everybody here has somehow been touched or impacted by Facebook, and some of you are going, that's a social media platform, not a movement. But when you look at how Facebook grew, it has all the marks of a movement. 
So this year, Facebook turns 15. 15 years ago, February 2004, Facebook was launched by a Harvard freshman by the name of Mark Zuckerberg. And here's what's phenomenal about Facebook in the very first, like, uh, just 10 months of its existence, launched in February of 04, just on Harvard's campus, and by December of 04, it had spread so widely that it had over a million active users, like in just a few months. It's like, just crazy how it spread. And that continued throughout the year of 2005. And by 2006, though, those that were leading the charge behind Facebook, Zuckerberg, and all of his other folks around him, they kind of had a decision to make because of the movement, whether they called it that or not, was facing a hurdle. And the hurdle was this, that in 2006, if you wanted to be on Facebook, you had to be a university student or a high school student, that you could not get a profile unless you had a school email address with which to apply for it. And so in 06, uh, Zuckerberg, I read a bunch of articles on it this week because you know, it's 15 years, people are talking about the story, what a phenomenal way, how this has impacted the world. And Zuckerberg was reflecting on 06, he said he realized, he realized that 80% of the users on Facebook were no longer in school. And even though they were still using Facebook, the people they were connecting with now could not get on it unless they were students. And so he went, oh man, this thing's gonna stop unless we can open it up to more people. But what's interesting is, as he started entertaining the idea of opening the door for more people to get on with Facebook, he faced a lot of resistance. A lot of people said it was a terrible idea. They said that what made Facebook unique was its exclusive focus on college students and high school students. In fact, uh, one gentleman by the name of Aaron Cohen, he was the chief executive of a social networking site called Bolt at the time in 2006. Uh, he was quoted as saying this. He said, you know, it's a mistake. He said, the point of Facebook is the exclusivity. He said, if they don't have that, what do they have that MySpace doesn't have? You know, which is hilarious if you know anything about MySpace, which most of you don't, because it's not even around anymore, you know? <laughs> so this guy, Aaron, was going, yeah, Facebook, big mistake, don't do it. You're just gonna be competing with MySpace and you don't wanna do that, you know? And we look at what happened in 06, Zuckerberg opens the doors, everybody comes on MySpace, nobody knows what it is anymore, and Facebook, two billion people around the world report interacting with Facebook at least once a month. Unbelievable, it's almost a third of the Earth's population has been impacted by this little thing that was started on a campus uh, at Harvard. And you know, we, we've been walking through Acts and we've seen this picture of the church. And we keep talking about this idea of a movement. In fact, back at the very beginning as we started walking through the book of Acts, we said, hey, this is not just a story. This is not just a historical account of something that happened back then. This helps us understand who the church is meant to be. Then in the book of Acts, we see that the church is not a building. It's not even just a group of people. It's not a place that I go on Sundays to feel better about my week. It, it, it is not a social club that I opt in out or out of. It is none of those things. The church, as we saw in Acts chapter one, it is nothing less than a movement of God's kingdom. The reality of God spreading around the world, it was started by Jesus Christ. It is fueled by the Holy Spirit and it is carried by God's people. And as we've walked through the book of Acts, we've seen this movement just kind of breaking out in some really beautiful and phenomenal ways as we've been reading through the story. And we've been saying, hey, this is our story. This is who we are as the church. We're a movement not just a static body in Nashville, Tennessee, but part of something so much bigger. 
However, as we've been reading through it, we've seen there's been several barriers to the movement. We've talked about some of those a lot, some of the battles they've faced. But this week, we're going to see that there is one hurdle for the movement of Jesus in the early church that has not yet been faced. It has not yet been overcome. And to understand this hurdle, you've got to understand some of Jesus' vision for the movement. See, Jesus cast a clear vision. At the, at the end of Matthew, Matthew in chapter 28, Jesus says, he's telling his disciples, he goes, I want you to go into all nations. Jesus' vision was for the world. In Acts chapter one, he tells them this way. He says, hey, listen, you're gonna be my witnesses in Jerusalem, a single city, and in Judea, a region around that city, and in Samaria, the neighboring country, into the ends of the earth. Jesus' vision was always for this movement that he started to spread to the ends of the earth, to all people, to all nations. And yet so far, as we've read through the book of Acts, even though the movement is blossoming and growing like crazy, the majority of those who are stepping into the movement come from a Jewish background. They have been Jewish. And one of the things that has marked the movement amongst these Jewish believers has been this radical sense of hospitality, fellowship, generosity, it's one of the things that you see all through the early stages of the book of Acts. You'll read the end of Acts chapter two, the end of Acts chapter four, the middle of Acts chapter five. Over and over, what you see is as they step into life with Jesus, one of the things that makes it so appealing is the way they start doing life together. They're just throwing the doors of their homes open. They're sharing all they have with one another. It's radical generosity, radical hospitality, radical spirit-filled fellowship with one another. It's so appealing to humanity and people are jumping on board. But again, the majority of it has taken place in the context of Jewish believers. And this presented a hurdle. The hurdle was a Jewish mindset at the time. You see, the Jews of the day were taught that they could not enter the home of a non-Jewish person, a Gentile. And they could not have Gentiles enter their home. This was the way that they were taught by the religious leaders of the day that they could not associate with them. Now, this all centered around these laws called the cleanliness laws. I don't have time this morning to unpack all of those for you. You can read about them in the book of Leviticus. Get ready, because it's a real gripper if you want to read through Leviticus. It's a tough read. Um, but you know, in Leviticus, uh, the Bible talks about things that are clean and things that are unclean for the Jewish people. Now, if you want to unpack this a little more, feel free, go to YouTube. There's a great series of videos called The Bible Project. And they have a video on holiness. You just type in Bible Project Holiness on YouTube and you can watch that. It'll help you understand clean and unclean a little bit more. But the basic gist of it was this. There were some foods for the Jewish people that were unclean and there were some that were clean. It wasn't the same as being sinful. What it meant was if they eat something that is unclean, they are impure and they cannot come into God's presence in the temple or in the synagogue or in God's people. And they had to purify themselves before they could come back into God's presence. And so by the time that Jesus was around and the early church was beginning to unfold, those teachings had been built on so much and exaggerated so much. So what they were taught now wasn't just, hey, if you're unclean, purify yourself. It's like, no, do not eat these foods. Do not associate with people that eat these foods. Don't have them in your home. Don't go into their home. And if you do, it is disgusting and detestable before God. This is what they were being taught by the religious leaders of their day. Now, these are the people that Jesus was butting heads with all the time, but what we're gonna see is that even in the early church, this mindset was still pervasive. It was still there. 
And in order for the movement of the church to keep going, to meet up to Jesus's vision, something had to be done to overcome the hurdle. And that's what we're gonna read about today in Acts chapter 10. Now, I'm just gonna let you know, I'm gonna do a lot of reading, okay? Because the story's a long story. I try to figure out if I could just look at a few verses, but I think it's just good for us to read the story as is in the Bible. So I'm gonna read the entirety of chapter 10 to us. And so I encourage you to follow along in your Bible, follow along with your phone if you need to. We've got the words on the screen. You can follow along up there as well. I'll do my best not to make it boring as I read it. Here we go. All right, Acts chapter 10, verse one. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion in what was known as the Italian regiment. He's a Gentile. He's not Jewish. He and all his family were devout and God-fearing. He gave generously to those in need, and he prayed to God regularly. One day at about three in the afternoon, he had a vision. He distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius. Cornelius stared at him in fear. What is it, Lord? He asked. And the angel answered, your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. Now send some men to Joppa to bring back a man named Simon, who is called Peter. He is staying with Simon the Tanner, whose house is by the sea. And when the angel who spoke to him had gone, Cornelius called two of his servants and a devout soldier who was one of his attendants. He told them everything that had happened, and he sent them to Joppa. Now about noon the following day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter, he's one of the apostles, he went up on the roof to pray. He became hungry and wanted something to eat. And while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw heaven open and something like a large sheet being let down to earth by its four corners. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals as well as reptiles and birds. And then a voice told him, get up, Peter, kill and eat. Surely not, Lord, Peter replied. I've never eaten anything impure or unclean. And the voice spoke to him a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times, and immediately the sheet was taken back into heaven. Now, while Peter was wondering about the meaning of the vision, the men sent by Cornelius found out where Simon's house was, and they stopped at the gate. They called out, asking if Simon, who was known as Peter, was staying there. While Peter was still thinking about the vision, the Spirit said to him, remember, this is a movement fueled by the Spirit. The Spirit said to him, Simon, three men are looking for you, so get up and go downstairs. Do not hesitate to go with them, for I have sent them. So Peter went down and he said to the men, I'm the one you're looking for. Why, why have you come? And the men replied, we have come from Cornelius, the centurion. He's a righteous and God-fearing man who is respected by all the Jewish people. A holy angel told him to ask you to come to his house so that he could hear what you have to say. Then Peter invited the men into the house to be his guests. The next day, Peter started out with them and some of the believers from Joppa went along with him. The following day, he arrived in Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. And as Peter entered the house, Cornelius met him and fell at his feet in reverence. But Peter made him get up. He said, stand up. I'm only a man myself. And while talking with him, Peter went inside and found a large gathering of people. He said to them, you are all well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate with or visit a Gentile. But God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without raising any objection. Now may I ask, why have you sent for me? And Cornelius answered, three days ago, I was in my house praying at this very hour at three in the afternoon. Suddenly a man in shining clothes stood before me and said, Cornelius, God has heard your prayer and remembered your gifts to the poor. Send to Joppa for Simon, who is called Peter. 
He is a guest in the home of Simon the Tanner who lives by the sea. So I sent for you immediately, and it was good of you to come. Now we are all here in the presence of God to listen to everything the Lord has commanded you to tell us. And then Peter began to speak. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but he accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. You know the message God sent to the people of Israel, announcing the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. You know what has happened throughout the province of Judea, beginning in Galilee after the baptism that John preached, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, and how he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil because God was with him. He says, we are witnesses of everything he did in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They killed him by hanging him on a cross, but God raised him from the dead on the third day and caused him to be seen. Now, he was not seen by all the people, but by witnesses whom God had already chosen, by us who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one whom God appointed as judge of the living and the dead. All the prophets testify about him, that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. Now, while Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. The circumcised believers, that's the Jewish believers, who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on Gentiles, for they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. And then Peter said, surely no one can stand in the way of their being baptized with water. They have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. And so he ordered that they be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked Peter to stay with them for a few days. This is the word of the Lord out of Acts chapter 10. It's such a phenomenal story. You know, if we're not careful, it feels like this thing a long time ago, but it's such an incredible story of how God was at work amongst his people. And I want us to see our place in this story, but first we need to understand two really significant things about this story, about what's happening. The first significant thing is what I've already kind of alluded to, is that this story is a major turning point in the history of the movement of God's people, the church. It's where God is working to overcome a hurdle, a barrier that was threatening to limit the expanding kingdom of God. You see, these cleanliness laws that had been kind of mistaught and misrepresented among the Jewish people, they presented a real threat to people coming to know the love of Jesus. But when you remember what the church is, the church is a movement of God's kingdom. It is started by Jesus. It is led by the Spirit. And what I love about this story is that we see God at work in the middle of the movement that God is not about to let these barriers, these hurdles prevent from those who need to know the name of Jesus from hearing the name of Jesus. And so what does he do? See, God does not just sit back and cross his arms and watch and hope that we get it right. God is at work. What does he do? He works on both ends of the, the representations of the hurdle. First, he comes to Cornelius. He comes and he sends an angel because he has mercy on him. He sends an angel to him so that he can hear the truth. So God works by first sending an angel to Cornelius, but he doesn't just do that. He also comes to Peter, and he gives Peter this vision. He speaks to Peter through the Holy Spirit so that Peter begins to know that it's okay for him to go. It's not just okay, it is good and necessary for him to go and to minister to Cornelius. You see, what God is doing in the movement, he's throwing the doors wide open for the gospel, the good news of Jesus, 
to be carried to all nations. It is a major turning point in the story of the church, in our story. In fact, if you think about it, none of us would be sitting here unless your heritage is Jewish. Like this was the moment where the doors began to be open for the movement to impact all non-Jewish populations. But there's something else significant about this story that I don't want us to miss. Because if we miss this, we'll have a hard time seeing our part in the story. Now, this second, this second significant point, uh, you're gonna hear it and you're gonna think it's obvious, but it may not be as obvious as we think. And the second significant thing is this, that Cornelius and his household needed Jesus. They needed Jesus. Now, I know you're going, okay, yeah, of course, this is a church, that's what you're gonna say. But you know, what's interesting is that when we look back at the description of Cornelius, it honestly might leave us scratching our heads a little bit. Look at the beginning of Acts chapter 10, verse two. This is how um, Luke, the writer, describes Cornelius. He said, he and all his family were devout. They were God-fearing. He gave generously to those in need, and he prayed to God regularly. This was a God-fearing man. If you were here a few weeks ago, we talked about the fear of the Lord in Acts chapter five. This was a God-fearing man. He was a generous man. He gave to the needy regularly. He was a praying man. He prayed to God regularly. He was considered to be a devout man. His, his people, his servants that he sent, will describe him in verse 25 as someone who was respected by all the Jewish people. And yet, in the midst of all those amazing qualifications, Cornelius still needs Jesus. In other words, his fearing God was not enough. His praying was not enough. His being a generous person was not enough. His being respected was not enough. No amount of good deeds or right actions could earn him forgiveness and salvation. This is shocking for us. But look what Peter says. When Peter comes into his presence, verse 36, first he says, you know the message that God sent to the people of Israel, announcing the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is what? Lord of all. Peter starts by elevating the supremacy of Jesus. He says, Jesus is Lord of all, not just of Jewish people, not just of a few. He is Lord of all. And then look, verse, look down at verse 42. He says, he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one, the one whom God appointed as judge of the living and dead. Jesus Christ is the one appointed to judge humanity. And then verse 43, all the prophets testify about him that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. You see what Peter proclaims to Cornelius right when he shows up is like, hey, you need Jesus. There's only one name who is the judge of all, who is the Lord of all, who can offer forgiveness and salvation. It's only in Jesus. Now, this kind of thinking flies in the face of contemporary thought today. Every day, you and I, all, every one of us, we are bombarded with a narrative that says, hey, no, it really doesn't matter what you believe. Your truth can be your truth. My truth can be my truth. You know, all faiths lead to the same God. Isn't it all just kind of the same? As long as you're a good person and you do kind things for other people, then it really doesn't, you don't have to believe in Jesus. And here's what I know is that there are some of us in our church who you're flirting with this idea that maybe people don't need Jesus. Maybe he's not the only way. But there's just no room left for that way of thinking when you read the story like Acts chapter 10. 
If ever there was a good man that didn't need Jesus, it was this man, Cornelius, and yet he needed Jesus. Your friends, your coworkers, your family, your neighbors, who are good people. Maybe they practice Buddhism. Maybe they're Hindu. Maybe they're Muslim. Maybe they're just a humanist, an agnostic, and you see good things in their life. The reality is they need Jesus. We all need Jesus. He's the only avenue to forgiveness, the only avenue to God, the only avenue to salvation. And this is what Peter sees in Acts chapter 10, and this is the message that he comes and tells Cornelius. You know how easy it would have been for Peter to go, ah, you know what, Cornelius, I'm looking around. You're a good dude. Everybody respects you. You know, you got a lot of good things going for you here. Keep up the good work, pal. Keep it up. That's not what he does. He shows up and he says, hey, Jesus, Lord of all, judge of the living and the dead. If you believe in him, forgiveness comes. So this is a deeply significant story in the history of the church. It's this turning point where all are welcomed into the movement, where God actively is working to bring people into the movement. And it is also this place where we realize that we all need Jesus. Now, what does this have to do with us? Where do we see ourselves in this story? You know, if you're anything like me, uh, there's this temptation to read the story. I mean, this is what happened. I picked up uh, my Bible early this week to start working on this, and I read it, and honestly, my thought was like, man, it's such a cool story. It would have been really cool to be alive when God actually did things like that, <laughs> when God sent angels, and when God gave visions, and when God spoke. And what I want us to hear this morning is that this is not a story about something that God did. This is the story of what God is continuing to do in his kingdom today that God is still at work in these ways, and this is great news. There are some of you that are sitting here right now, and you're on the fence as to whether or not you believe in Jesus, and this feels like an offensive message, but I want you to see the character and the nature of our God, that those who are far from him that would never hear the name of Jesus, he is actively going after them. Have you ever considered the fact that there's a reason you're sitting here today? God is after you, he loves you immensely, and he will stop at no length to bring you into the family and for you to know the kind of love and mercy that he has for you. But you need Jesus, we all need Jesus. You know, uh, this story of God moving in miraculous ways, of visions and dreams, this is our story as a church. <laughs> it's your story. And at the end of last year, I came face to face with an eye-opening moment of where I realized just how much of my story it is. So I remember at the end of last year, it was October or November, I had some friends come to me, and these friends are followers of Jesus, but they're former Muslims. And they came to me and they said, hey, there's a man that we've met who is curious about Christianity. He wants to know more about what it means to follow Jesus. Now, this man had a very complex story, a very complex history, which I won't share all the details out of respect for him, but he had a complex story. Part of that story was that he, he was Muslim. He grew up in a Muslim household and he's from another country, he was here as a refugee. And another part of that is that he didn't speak any English. He only spoke Arabic and they my friend said, hey, would you consider meeting with us? I'm like, I don't speak Arabic. And they're like, yeah, we'll translate. I'm like, okay, I guess if I have to, you know, I'm scared to death. So I'm like, okay, let's do it. So we get together. I get together with this couple and with this Muslim man. And, um, and so one of the first things I asked him, I said, hey, I'm curious, why are you interested in following Jesus? So he communicates through my friend who's translating. And basically what he, what he tells me, he says, I had this dream. He said, in my dream, the first thing that I saw was this strange image of, of what was, it was John bowing down to Jesus in the womb. And I, I was kind of like struck by that. It's kind of a weird thing to see. And so I, I immediately thought of Luke chapter one. Luke chapter one, um, Elizabeth, who's pregnant with John the Baptist, 
And Mary, who's pregnant with Jesus, Mary comes in the room, and as soon as her voice is heard, John leaps in the womb of Mary. He's recognizing Jesus as Lord. And so I read this story to this man. I read it to him, and I'm saying, I think this is kind of what you're dreaming, and his eyes get so big. I'm like, have you read that before? He's like, no, I didn't even know that was in the Bible. He goes, I didn't know who John was. I just knew that John was bowing down to Jesus in the womb. I'm like, well, I'm like, here it is. Like, this is where it is. And so his mind is blown. Then he says, there was another part of the dream. I said, well, tell me the rest of the dream. He said, in the, the next part of the dream, I walked into a room and it was, it was just pitch black. It was dark. He said, I couldn't even see my hand in front of my face. He said, and then a bright light clicked on and I heard a voice that said, Jesus Christ is the light of the world and he will lead you to all truths. Follow him. And he said, my heart was filled with a peace like I've never known before and I want to know what it looks like to follow Jesus. <laughs> I'm like, okay, like, all right, how do I... So now the rest of the time we hung out for the next hour and a half where there were a lot of perceived barriers to this guy being able to walk with Jesus. And so I went one by one and started telling him, hey, you know, if you follow Jesus, he's not just your savior, he's your Lord. You have to submit everything to him, everything. It's his way. And he's like, I know, I know, I know. And I said, you realize there may be persecution. People may come against you. If a Muslim puts their faith in Jesus, they're considered an apostate. They are rejected by family. They can be threatened by their friends. He says, it's okay, I want to follow Jesus over and over again. And then I start hearing the Spirit just say to me, Aaron, don't make it hard for him. Don't make it hard for him. And so we flip to the book of Acts. We start reading some stories very similar to his and like Cornelius here, and his eyes are just so big. And so uh, we read the story of the Ethiopian eunuch, which we didn't get to look at together as a church. And uh, the Ethiopian eunuch sees water and he says, here's water, why can I be baptized? And the man says, can I be baptized tonight? And I'm like, ah. Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> and so I tell my friend, I'm like, yeah, why would we not do this? Like, he wants to follow Jesus. And so, like, we get in our cars to drive to the cannery. And I remember I'm like, I, I called Dave. I called our elders. I'm like, hey, I just want to make sure I'm doing the right thing. They're like, what? This is crazy. So that night, I had the privilege of baptizing this man into the name of Jesus Christ. And he became a follower of Christ. This did not happen because I sought him out. It happened because God sought him out. You see, this is what God is in the business of doing today. He's the leader of the movement. The Spirit is fueling the movement of Jesus. And what I began to realize after this happened, I started looking around, I started realizing this is not that uncommon of a reality amongst Muslim populations. Many of you may have heard these kinds of stories, but around the world, Jesus keeps showing up to Muslims in their dreams as they're praying. And as they're seeking God, they keep recounting stories of a man in white coming and saying, I'm Jesus, the son of God, follow me. And their hearts are filled with peace and they look for Christians to teach them how to follow Jesus. There's a book called Dreams and Visions, appropriately, by a guy named Tom Doyle. Tom Doyle was a missionary, is a missionary in the Middle East among Muslim populations. And in the book, he just tells story after story after story of Muslim after Muslim after Muslim who's having dreams of Jesus come to them and say, hey, I am the son of God, follow me. There's one story of a woman who says, Jesus, how am I gonna know how to follow you? And he says, well, look for him. And she looks over her shoulder in the dream and there's a man behind her. And one day she's at the market and she sees this man and she runs up to him. She's like, you're the man, you're the man. The guy's like super nervous because he's like secretly a Christian evangelist in a Muslim community. And he's like, Arr! and she comes up and she's like, you are in my dream. And she's like, she tells him the story. And she said, you were wearing these clothes and you had a smile on your face. And Jesus told me to ask you about how I can follow him. Story after story after story. You see, this is what God is up to in the world around us. 
Now here's the thing we have to answer. The question for us as a church is will we be like Peter? Did you know that right now, Muslims are in the season of Ramadan? The season of Ramadan is a 30-day season of prayer and fasting where they do not eat from sunup to sundown for 30 straight days because they're seeking God. Now, the God they're seeking is not our God. They're seeking Allah, different God. But many of them are God-fearing. They are devout. They are generous. They are good people. And they're seeking God. Thousands of them in our city right now. Ramadan ends on Tuesday. And the question that I have for us is that as Jesus comes to them in their dreams and he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, follow me, will he find any Peters in our midst who are willing and open to being the ones to point them to Jesus? See, here's the thing we see about Peter. My question for us, will we be like Peter? One thing you see about Peter, the first thing is this, is that Peter made space in his life to hear the voice of God. You look back in verse nine, it says about noon the following day as they were on their journey, you know, Peter went up on the roof to pray. Here's the thing, Peter's in Joppa, that's not where he lives. Peter is basically on a work trip, okay? The church has been scattered and he has gone to Joppa. Part of his job as an elder in the church is going to check on the churches. He's on a work trip and in the middle of his work trip, he's making time to get alone and listen to the voice of the Lord. I don't know if that describes your life, but it doesn't always describe mine. Like, I'm pretty good, I'm a pastor. You know, I'm pretty good at making space during my normal work week to have time with the Lord in prayer, but I'll just tell you, I'll confess that like when I go on work trips, I have to go to a conference, or when I go on vacation, I'm not the best at making space. Just this last week, I was on a vacation with my family, at a lake with my family, and not one time, I realized when I got back and opened the Word and read this, not one time did I make space in my day to just be alone and listen to the voice of God. And the question for us as part of the movement is will we make space in our lives to listen, to pray, to be in the Word regularly? You see, part of the problem is we're just too busy. We're too busy. We're so distracted. It's hard for us to believe that this is the movement we're a part of because we don't see it, but the reason we don't see it is because we're so busy, distracted by other things. So will we make space like Peter to hear the voice of God? The other thing about Peter is Peter was willing to let God be God. He was willing to let God shatter some boxes and some paradigms that he had forced him into. Here's the reality. Many of us have grown up with a boxed-in version of God, a boxed-in version of who God wants to send us to, of who God loves, of who God accepts, of who God doesn't accept, of who God wants to know the truth, of who God doesn't want to know the truth. We have boxed God in, and even if God tried to send us, we'd be more like Jonah than we are like Peter, not willing to go making excuses. And I wonder how many of us are willing to go, God, who is it you're sending me to? Where is it you're sending me to? Who do you want me to share my faith with? Who do you want me to testify about Jesus with? I'm willing to bet there are some of us in the room right now that you already know the person that God has burdened you with to just talk about Jesus with, and yet you're scared. It's, a, it's okay. There's nothing to be afraid of. I'm just telling you that walking with Jesus is one of the greatest adventures you'll ever go on. It's the greatest purpose you could ever ask for in your life. But will we be like Peter? You know, this month, uh, as Tuesday approaches, and, and Muslims in our city and around the world are praying and seeking, and Jesus begins to come to them, there is a good chance that there will be men and women in our city who Jesus comes to. But here's the problem. Our perception of Muslims has been so skewed. 
A good friend of mine who teaches in a university here, he told me they teach on bias a lot in his class and they talk about different biases people have. And he says almost all of his students, they said that one of the biggest biases that they have is towards Muslims. Because the, the message, the narrative is that Muslims hate us as Christians, that Muslims are terrorists, that they're terrible people. But I'm just gonna tell you and testify, I went to a Ramadan dinner like two weeks ago, put on by some people in our church to try to show the love of Jesus to Muslims in our city. They were beautiful people many of whom have visited our church and are seeking truth, and some, some of them are so close. But here's the reality, as good as they are, as beautiful as they are, they need Jesus. And will God find some Peters here in our body who are willing to go to them and love them and show them how much Jesus loves them? Is that who we're gonna be? Because that's, man, that's what I long to be a part of, the movement of God's kingdom. Now, this goes far beyond Muslims. They're just the people that God's put in my heart this week as I was reading as I read about Cornelius because of the story that I've had. But the reality is there are people that God is pursuing in our city all around us. People of different faiths, people that are agnostic, people that are uncertain, people that have been hurt by the church, and God is actively pursuing. And some of these people might be the least expected. And God is asking us if we will be Peters for his movement. Now, here's, here's how I'd like to kind of wrap up this morning. I wanna give us some time to pray. If you're visiting with us or new with us, we often take space just to pray with one another in the room. And I've got some prayer points I wanna encourage you to pray through. We're gonna get those up on the screen here. And um, I wanna encourage you, before we go to communion, we're gonna take some time, just circle up with people around you. And if you don't know one another, just introduce yourself. If you'd rather pray by yourself, that's fine. You can pray by yourself. But here's the things I want us to pray through. Let's start by asking God to continue speaking to us and leading us the same way he did Peter. That's our first point. God, will you speak to us? Will you lead us? The second thing, I'd love for you to share. Who, who is it that God has already invited you to share Jesus with, but you're feeling a little reluctant or scared? Name that person if you're comfortable with it. Ask your friends around you to pray for you for courage and to pray for that person, the softening of their heart. And then the third part, we're gonna start this morning and we're gonna finish it at our prayer gathering tonight, is that I want us as a church to have compassion on the Muslim men and women in our city and let's pray for them, those in our city and around the world, that they would come to know Jesus as Lord, the Son of God. Tonight at our prayer gathering, first Sunday of each month, we take time to pray for the nations. Tonight we're specifically going to pray for Muslims around the world as they get ready to wrap up Ramadan. Come back tonight. Let's keep praying. Let's let God move us to be a people of compassion instead of people that are walled off. And so I just wanna encourage you right now, go ahead and turn your chairs, get with the people around you. You can start with point one, point two, point three, whatever you wanna do, just pray together. Let's spend some time letting God be the leader of this movement that we're a part of. Father, I thank you that you hear, you hear every one of these prayers. You hear every name, you hear every conversation. Thank you, Father, for being big enough to handle all of our requests, for hearing us pray. And Lord, we, we just come together as a, as a family and we ask, Lord, would you keep moving? Give us eyes to see the places where you're at work. Send us, Father, speak to us. Lord, we pray for those in our city that are seeking truth right now. Lord, we pray for the Muslims in Ramadan that are seeking truth. And Lord, would you show up? Would you draw them to you? Lord, would you create a space in our family for those who have been far away, for those who are looking? Would you make space in this family for them to come, to feel your love, to feel your grace? Help us be a spirit-filled people, a part of your movement. We love you, Lord. We give you this space. We give you this time. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.